Good morning, Glad Tidings, and welcome to Palm Sunday. Yeah. Palm Sunday is the day that uh, Jesus courageously entered into Jerusalem, announcing that he was, in fact, the Messiah, uh, knowing full well that it was going to cost him his life uh, to make that announcement. What's interesting is, is as Jesus came into Jerusalem, all of his followers were lined up along the road and they were waving these things called palm branches, right? We call it Palm Sunday for that reason. These palm branches were actually, um, uh, in, 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 in Jewish times, in those times, the Jews understood that when you wave the palm branch, you are calling for arms. You were calling for arms. So it was like a declaration of war to wave those palm branches. And they were crying out. They were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save now, save now. And what they were saying is, hey, we're ready to call up arms. Uh, We're ready to declare war. We're ready for you to be the Messiah and save us now from this Roman occupation. We're going to be delivered now. So that was the idea that all of Jesus's followers had. So they expected something far different than what had happened that day. Jesus comes into town, into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey. Uh, He didn't come riding in on an armed chariot, uh, ready to declare war. Um, But he did come to save them now, to save them now. But he did it so much different than what they expected. They expected a conquering king. And what happened on Good Friday is Jesus spread out his arms And allowed Roman soldiers to nail him to a cross, an old rugged cross. How many of you know that Jesus is full of surprises? He's full of surprises. I preached a message a couple weeks ago. You might be surprised. And you know what? We should be surprised. We should be surprised by Jesus all the time. Because the Bible says that God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And God's ways, they're not our ways. So whenever we read the Bible, whenever we come to church, whenever we think about God, encounter God, we should be surprised by God. We should be surprised. This morning, uh, my prayer is that you're surprised again by Jesus and surprised by how, how Jesus treats people who are far from God. And today I want to answer the question, why do good things happen to bad people? Why do good things happen to bad people? And today we're going to look at a guy named Peter, Simon Peter, who who is a bad person, very sinful person. And I want you to notice as we look in Luke chapter five today, I want you to notice how Jesus spoke to somebody who was far from God. I want you to notice what he did for somebody who is very far from God. And we're going to find out why good things happen to bad people like you and I. So here we go. Luke chapter five, verse number one. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is also called the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. And he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, who is Simon Peter, And he asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. 
And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, somebody needs to hear that today. Because you say so, Peter said, I will let down the nets. Let's just pause there for just a moment. Peter, an expert fisherman, had been fishing all night long, worked hard all night, did what he was trained to do. And yet the Bible says that he came up with an empty net after an entire night of fishing. How many of you know it's not a good day at work when you don't get a paycheck? Some of you here today, um, you're working hard. You're working hard at loving your spouse or or raising your kids or serving Jesus or figuring out your purpose in life. And, and you're working hard. You're trying hard. You're doing the best you can. And like Peter, you come up with this empty net. You're here this morning and you're empty. Everything you seem to touch falls apart. You're wondering what in the world is going on. I've done this for years. And now what used to bring me sex success, not sex. Thank you very much. <laughs> What used to bring me success? <laughs> Let me just say this. If you're having trouble in that area, I got good news for you. God can fill your net this morning. All right. <laughs> hey, doctors practice. Medicine, preachers practice preaching. Let's just, let's just say we're... I'm really glad you're listening this morning. Let's just start over. Turn within your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. <laughs> that was fun. I love it. <laughs> Come back next week. <laughs> We'll have part two. Uh, <laughs> my wife is having a hard time recovering here. <laughs> Just having, <laughs> Honey, I think this message is for you this morning. <laughs> Woo! Hey. <clears throat> See, when you're a preacher and your wife sits on the front row, Sometimes those conversations are hard to have. Just interject it into the message. We're good, man. Uh, you might be surprised what you hear when you come to Glad Tidings Church. Okay. Yes. I want to go back to this empty net thing, okay? Seriously. Um, some of you here today, we're having a good laugh, and that's wonderful. But even when the laughing is all done, there's still an empty net in your life. There's an empty place. And, um, and you have done everything you know how to do to fill this thing. And, and you're here in the right place this morning because God, God wants to do something for you that you can't do for yourself. And he wants to fill that empty net. And I want to look at what happens um, when you do something that God asked you to do that doesn't make a bit of sense. Think about this for a moment. You have a carpenter telling a fisherman how to catch fish. Okay. You have a carpenter telling Peter, look, Peter, this is what you need to do. Go out in the middle of the day and throw your nets down in the deep water. Well, back in that day, every fisherman understood that that's not how you catch fish. You fish at night and you fish in the shallows. 
And how many of you have ever had God ask you to do something, right, that, that didn't make any sense to you, right? Some of you are here today, and God has spoken to your heart about something that you know you need to do. But it doesn't make sense. It doesn't feel right, um, right? How many of you know the Bible is full of things that don't make sense? Like, like love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. Does that feel right? Not to me. I want to take somebody's head off. I don't know about you, right? Or how about this one? Uh, children, obey your parents. Now, that feels right to the parent, but doesn't feel right to the kid, right? doesn't make any logic sense to do what God tells you to do. Or how about this one? Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Does giving God 10% of your income make any logical sense to you? And if you're logical, it doesn't make any sense at all. It doesn't feel right. But God says, put me first in the area of your finance. Bring me 10%, right? Live off the 90. Doesn't make any sense. Or how about this? Some of you, it's... How many of you, Let's just bring up the sex thing again, okay? Since we're so good at talking about that this morning. Um, doesn't make any sense to wait until you're married to have sex. Doesn't feel right, right? Doesn't make a bit of sense. But God says in his word, wait till marriage. And keep the marriage bed pure. That's what God says in his word. Doesn't make any sense. Right. And so here's what Peter says. Okay, Jesus doesn't make any sense what you're asking me to do. But because you say so. Sometimes the only reason we do what God says is because he said so. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't look right. Right. No logical sense at all because you say so. Here's what happens when you step out and you say, God, I'm going to do it because you say so. Look at me. Look at verse number six with me, if you would. Bible says that when he had done so. They caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to what? Began to break. So they signaled their partners to the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Both boats so full they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Look at this. Look at Peter's reaction. What was his reaction? Was it, Oh my goodness, the boats are sinking. Save us. Or, Wow, God, this great catch of fish. Thank you so much. We really needed this to pay the bills. His response was he fell at the knees of Jesus and he said, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. In other words, what he was saying is, God, I don't deserve this kind of kindness. I don't deserve this kind of goodness. Why do good things happen to bad people like me? I don't deserve this. And I like how the New Living Translation puts it. It says this, when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and he said, oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. Please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. Some of you had to fight to get to church today because you feel like you're too much of a sinner to be around Jesus. God, I don't deserve this kindness. I don't deserve your goodness. Verse number nine says this, for he was awestruck. I want to be awestruck by God's goodness. He was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. Let's step back from a minute and let's ask this question. How did Jesus get sinful Peter's attention that day? What did he do? He did something for Peter that Peter did not deserve. Not at all. 
And he demonstrated God's goodness to a sinful man through a miraculous provision. That'd be like going to Walmart and as the Lord leads you or wherever you shop and, and, and filling somebody's grocery cart full of groceries, paying the bill, right? An empty net, an empty grocery cart. Look, God's just wanting to get your attention, ma'am, sir. So God wanted to fill your grocery cart today free of charge to let you know he wants to fill your heart with forgiveness free of charge. What if we demonstrated a million acts of kindness over the next five weeks like that? You see, the reason why good things happen to bad people is to show us our condition. The goodness of God is revealed when the goodness of God is revealed, it shows us our true condition. A lot of times we want to tell people, you're a bad person. You're a sinner. You really need God. How many of you know most people already know that? What do they need? They need what Peter needed that day. They needed to, to, to feel and experience the goodness of God. The Bible says that the goodness of God is what leads us. To repentance. The kindness of God leads us to repentance. What does a boatload of fish look like in your life? Think back over your life about the goodness of God demonstrated in your life. Think about the times in your life when you experienced that, that boatload of fish. Right? Think of that for a moment. God's goodness comes to us in all kinds of shapes and sizes. Right? That day, it came in this abundant provision for Peter. They needed, they needed fish. They needed success. They needed to pay the bills, okay? I don't know what God's goodness looks in your, like in your life, but His goodness should not just be that one time when we come to Christ and we are saved, okay? For example, almost 25 years now, this summer, 4th of July, will be our 25th wedding anniversary. 25 years ago, I stood right here at a church just like Glad Tidings. It was called Mount Hope Church in Lansing, Michigan. It was my wedding day. And I stood here, tuxedo, beautiful hair, and I'm looking. <laughs> God's goodness in my life. And I'm looking out at the, the back doors, those two back doors, and those door, music starts playing, doors come open, and here comes God's goodness. Here comes God's grace. Here comes God's undeserved favor in my life. And I knew it. In that moment, God just, it was like he opened the heavens and said, I'm going to give you, Walt, something, someone you don't deserve. And she started down that aisle, and she came down that aisle. And there's only two times I've cried in my entire life. The day I got, the day I was born, they smacked my bottom and I cried. <laughs> and the day I got married. <laughs> really, I've cried a few more times. But I'm not an emotional guy, but I just broke down in tears. And I cried for 45 minutes through that ceremony. <laughs> Why? Because God filled my boat <laughs> with, with undeserved favor. I felt the goodness, the grace, the kindness of God that day. It was that real. I kissed the goodness of God that day. I did. I think I need to kiss the goodness of God right now. I'll take this microphone out. I come back to church for that next week. 
You find your own goodness to kiss. She's my goodness, okay? God's goodness comes in all shapes and sizes, doesn't it? Undeserved favor. And why does he do that? Because we deserve it? Not at all. It's because he wants to display his goodness in our lives. And his goodness leads us to repentance. When we're reaching people who are far from God, how about we try reaching them with the goodness of God? What if, what if we confronted them with, with, with the law when we need to, but we confront them with grace? What if we did that? Sometimes we have to confront people and sometimes we have to love people. And the only way we can know the difference is if we're being led by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God will lead us to say what needs to be said. How many of you know when Jesus talked with people far from God, he didn't talk to them all the same? He didn't use the same method every time. I love Step Up to Life. I love Evangelism Explosion. I love the Romans Road. I love all those methods. But listen, don't be married to a method when reaching people far from God. Be married to a person named the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will take you by the hand and lead you into what you need to say. Sometimes you'll have to confront somebody and sometimes you'll love somebody. I heard a a podcast by Bill Johnson and uh, he ended up confronting somebody. Didn't expect to do this, but this person came up to him. This lady came up to him and said, Bill, I tried to kill myself this past week. Tried to take my life. And he looked at her and he said, you need to repent. Now, is that a normal response for somebody who's just tried to take their life? No, normally you want to put your arms around them. You want to love them. You want to talk about God's purpose for their life. You want to find out where the wound is. You want to heal the wound. And he confronts her and he says, you need to repent. And she said the moment that he said those words, repent, she literally saw the word repent come out of his mouth and enter her heart. And she repented right then and there. That's what she needed to hear. But only the spirit of God could reveal that. So don't be married to a method. Be married to a person, the person of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes people need to be loved. Sometimes they need to be confronted. And there was a gentleman who, uh, I think I may have told this story before, but there was a gentleman who, um, who did some painting on our house last fall. We were doing some remodeling. We invited this guy. His name is Paul. Paul came to our house to do some work and got to know Paul a little bit and really nice guy. And he was just very, very open about his life. And he began to tell me about his habits and all of this and that. And he goes, you know, I probably drink way more than I should. And he says, I enjoy cigars as well. And so we talked about that. And he's trying to figure out what does this pastor believe about drinking? So he says to me, he says, um, he says, do you as a pastor have the liberty to drink? That was his question. Do you have the liberty to drink? I thought, that's an interesting question. I said, well, yeah, I have the liberty to drink. The Bible says it doesn't forbid alcohol. It forbids the abuse or drunkenness. And he said, so you drink then, don't you? I said, I don't drink. He goes, well, what do you mean you don't drink? You have the liberty to. Why don't you drink? And I explained to him why I don't drink. And I, and I told him a story. I said, what if? What if I invited the pastors from our church over to our home for dinner and we watched a football game, we broke out the beer and we, we had a good old fashioned football beer party? Okay, what if? And then I come to church on a Sunday morning and I start talking about, man, we had a great night last night. Had the pastors over for for uh, dinner. We watched the game, drank some beers. It was a great time. What would happen? Some of you would probably stand up, give me a standing ovation and say, attaboy, pastor. I'm glad you're expressing the liberty you have in Christ. 
Some of you'd be happy for me, right? Others of you would stand up and walk out and never walk in again. Some of you would leave here and you go, well, I guess pastor's okay with drinking. I guess I can drink. I know I had a problem with it, but hey, it's probably okay in moderation. And you go out and you try to do something in moderation. You end up doing it in excess and you begin to abuse alcohol again and you get drunk. Now, the Bible says that if that happens and I caused it, it's not just sin for you. It becomes sin for me. And so scripture tells us very clear, if it causes your brother to stumble, then don't touch it. And so for that reason, I won't drink because the the law of love is greater than the law of freedom. And so I do it because I love you, not because I love alcohol or don't love alcohol. Do you understand that? And so I told Paul that and that kind of just I don't think he knew what to do with that. But he goes, oh, okay, all right, all right. So I'm praying, God, how do I reach this man who's far from God? What do I do? How can I do something that he would not expect? And the thought came to my mind. He loves smoking cigars. I should buy him some cigars. And I thought, well, is that my thought or is that God's thought? And before you judge me and before you tell me the right from wrong here, I really felt like it was an idea God had given to me. I thought he is going to be so surprised by this. So I bought him two cigars for $30. That's why I don't smoke cigars right there. So I buy him these cigars for $30 and I give them to Paul. And Paul is so surprised that a pastor would buy him a cigar or two cigars. Totally surprised. Some of you are surprised, right? And so here's what happened. Paul finishes up and and then he comes back to our home about a month and a half later. It's about mid January. I think he comes back to do a little bit of touch up and he goes, Hey, Walt, he's got this English accent. Hey, Walt. He says, starts telling me this story. He goes, you know, those two cigars you bought me. I said, yeah. He goes, I smoked the last one on Christmas day and I have not smoked another cigar since and I will never smoke another another cigar. That's what he told me. Isn't that amazing? And why did he do that? Right. Why did he do that? I don't know. Is it okay to smoke cigars? Will it send you to hell if you smoke a cigar? I don't think so. It'll just make you smell like you've been there, in my opinion. But I don't think it'll send you there. So what happened to Paul? I think he tasted the goodness of God in his life. I think he tasted some undeserved favor. I think he tasted something from a pastor or a Christian that maybe he's never tasted before. And he goes, you know what? That tastes pretty good. Maybe I don't need this anymore. Hey, Walt, he says, I got to tell you another story. He says, I took my wife out to dinner and I drank too much, way too many drinks. And I told my wife at the end of dinner, honey, I'm never going to drink again. This is my last drink. He says, pastor, he says, it's been a month and a half and I haven't had another drink. Isn't that amazing? Now, is he in the kingdom? Is he a believer? I don't think so. I think he's still far from God, but he's tasting and seeing that God is good. He's tasting and seeing that God is. Jesus said this, all who are thirsty, let them come to me and drink. Jesus said, those who drink the water I give them will what? They'll never thirst again. They'll never thirst again. Salt makes us thirsty. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Our lives, the goodness that comes from our lives should make people thirsty for God. Thirsty for God. They should taste God's goodness from our lives, not God's judgment. They should taste God. We're not the judge. God's the judge. What are we? We are the carriers of the goodness of God on earth. 
We've come to bring the kingdom of God. We've come to heal the sick. We've come to cast out devils. We've come to bless the cursed. That's our role. He's giving them the goodness of God. I want you to watch what happens here in verse number nine. For he and all his companions, they were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, watch this. He said, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will be a fisher of men. Another translation puts it. So why do good things happen to bad people? To show us our condition. We don't deserve the grace of God. To show us our calling. From now on, you will fish for men. During the first century, every Jewish boy by the age of 13 had studied and memorized much of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Can you imagine memorizing those five books by the age of 13? Hey, it's hard enough reading through Leviticus, <laughs> right? So they had it memorized by age 13. And what would happen is if they were among the best and the brightest, they would be accepted into rabbinical school, the school for future rabbis. And there in the rabbinical school, they would come under the authority of a rabbi or a teacher. And if he was not at the top of his class in the rabbinical school, the rabbi would say, go back to your father's occupation. Go back to being a carpenter, to being a shepherd, to being a fisherman. The reason why Peter was a fisherman is because he didn't make the cut. He didn't graduate top of his class. He wasn't in the honor roll. He didn't get the scholarship to go to Bible college. Are you with me this morning? Peter didn't make the cut. And yet Jesus chose Peter. And he says, the rabbis have rejected you. The religious people have rejected you. But I see in you something different. You, Peter, are a fisher of men. You're a fisher of men. Sometimes, church, the least likely people are the most likely people that God would choose. If you were the one out on the playground when you were a child and you were the last one picked to play kickball, how many of you say that was me? Listen, if you were the last one picked, you were the first one picked in God's kingdom. You're the first one. The, the most unlikely are the most likely in the kingdom. Do you know what the four most important letters in the English alphabet are? Do you know what they are? Let's look at them. These are the four most important letters in the English alphabet. I, C, N, U. Say it with me. I, C, N, U. Say it a little quicker. I see in you. Now, real quick. I see in you. Peter, I see in you a fisherman. And not just any kind of fisherman. I see a fisherman. Notice the context, right? Nets were breaking. Boats were sinking. Peter, I see in you the kind of fisherman, the net-breaking kind of fisher of men, the boat-filling, sinking kind of fisher of men. Peter, I see in you what nobody else sees in you. See, you need to know this morning that God sees something in you that nobody else sees. You see yourself as a failure. You didn't make the cut. God can't use me, right? I didn't get to Bible college, right? I wasn't smart enough. Listen, God sees something in you that you don't see. Peter, he was a net-breaking, boat-sinking kind of fisher of men. And it proves that on the first day that fishing season was open, called the day of Pentecost. 
Peter throws out the net. And 3,000 people were added to the net, to their number that day. Why? Because Jesus said, Peter, I see something in you that nobody else sees. And get this, church. God revealed Peter's calling before Peter was saved. What if you went to people who don't know God and you say, you know what? God's call is on your life. You see yourself as a failure, but God sees you as a fisher of men. What in the world are you talking about? Let's begin to speak what God speaks over people. Why do good things happen to bad people? To show us our calling. To show us our calling. You know, a lot of times at church we tell people, you've got to believe in Jesus. You've got to believe in Jesus. And you do. Some of you today, you need to believe in Jesus. But some of you today need to know that Jesus believes in you. Jesus believes in you. After the second service, one of our staff members ran up to me afterwards and said, you've got to read my journal. I wrote this in my journal this past week. And she wrote in there, you need to believe that Jesus believes in you. And then here I am this morning. You need to believe that Jesus believes in you. Jesus saying, I see in you a fisher of men. What are we going to do over the next five weeks? Over the next five years, what are we going to do? Are we going to come up with empty nets? Or are we going to be the fisher of, of men that God's called us to be? Some of you this morning, you need to believe that Jesus believes in you. And can I say this? Our children, for them to make that step to believing in Jesus, sometimes they first need to know that you believe in them and that Jesus believes in them. Does that make sense? In other words, sometimes they need to experience the goodness of God before they will believe. We're really good as parents of putting all these rules and lists together and consequences and losing your privilege and all this and that. And we should. That's what parents do. They create boundaries for their kids. But there sometimes as parents... Hear me out now. There's sometimes as parents, we need to do something and it's called giving them something they don't deserve. Why? To demonstrate the goodness of God. Here's what I would normally do. But today, here's what we're going to do. And here's why we're going to do it. Because I want you to taste the goodness of God in your life. You don't deserve this. But we'll give it to you anyway. Are you with me today? Come on. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. I see in you statements speak to someone's potential, not their performance. I see in you speaks to someone's potential, not their performance. Over the years, I've had a number of people who have made those I see in you statements to me. Maybe you have as well. When I was in the fourth grade, our, our music teacher brought out all these different instruments that we could try out. I don't know if they still do that or maybe they did that when you're growing up. But we had all these instruments in the room and tried the tuba and my lips weren't big enough for that. I don't know what the problem. I couldn't do that. But I picked up the trumpet and I made some noise. And it wasn't a joyful noise. But my music teacher says, I see in you a trumpet player. And so you know what I did? I made that noise for nine years <laughs> and it was never a joyful noise, right? When I was 19 years old, our youth pastor said, I see in you the call of God. I want you to teach 
every Wednesday night, I want you to teach 100 high school students. I was 19 years old. I see in you the call of God. I'm going to give you an opportunity to demonstrate there's a call on your life. No training, just threw me in with 100 kids every week. I didn't know anything. I just read my Bible. I prayed, God, what do I say? It about killed me, right? But somebody said, I see something in you that you don't see. I see in you statements are powerful statements. What if we went to people who are far from God and we started saying, I see this in you and I see that in you, right? And so call, call forth the destiny that God has on their lives. The reason I'm here today at Glad Tidings is because 20 years ago, a pastor named Al Toledo flew down to Springfield, Missouri, sat across the table with my wife and I and said, I see in you an amazing youth pastor, and I want you to join our team. Now, I didn't see that in me at all. I, I couldn't see it. But he said, I see in you. You know, sometimes people will not see what God sees in you. I remember sitting in the, uh, it was up in there, up, uh, there's, a, there's a classroom behind the balcony, and it used to be called the boardroom, where we'd have our, annu- our, 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 our uh, monthly board meetings. We sat around that table one night. I was the, the discipleship pastor, and the pastor asked the question, what do you see yourself doing that you're not currently doing? And when they got to me around the table, I said, man, I just feel the call to preach. I feel the call to preach. I've got like this fire, you know, shut up in my bones. And woe to me if I don't preach this gospel. And after I shared that, the room was dead silent. (laughs) No affirmation. No confirmation. No, oh, I see that too in you, Pastor Walt. None of that. Not even an amen. We just went on to the next guy. I thought, man, stuck my head out there, you know. Not everybody's going to see in you what God sees in you. Right? Jesus says to Peter, Peter, I see in you a fisher of men. Some of you are here this morning. You say, I'm an introvert. I could never win people for Jesus. Not true. We had a bookkeeper years ago. Her name was Nilda. And Nilda was the quietest person, nicest person in the world. She would never say a word, but she would come to the office every day and she would tell me about somebody else. She told about Jesus. I said, Nilda, how do you do this? She goes, I I just love God. I love God and what he's done. And so Nilda was like the evangelist on staff. The bookkeeper, the introvert was the evangelist on staff. Listen, God sees something in you. You have the ability to win people, right, that I can't win. You have a sphere of influence that I don't live in. and, And God is saying, I see in you a fisher of men. Over the next five weeks, let's be demonstrating the goodness of God. Let's get out there and let's win them for Jesus. Amen. I want to wrap up with this last verse and then we're going to we're going to wind down in Luke chapter five, verse number 11. The last verse, the Bible says that they pulled their they pulled their boats up on shore and they left everything and they followed him. They left everything and they followed him. Why do good things happen to bad people? To show us our condition, to show us our calling, and to show us our Christ, our Messiah. The Bible says they left everything to follow him, to follow Jesus. They didn't follow the miracles. They didn't follow him because of the provision. They followed him because he's a good, good God. Peter 
experienced the goodness of God that day that he had never experienced. And he said, I don't deserve this. I'm a sinful man. But he humbly received it that day. He humbly received it that day. And after he received it, he said, you know what? I need more of this goodness of God. And he left everything. He left his boats. He left the boats that were full of fish, right? He left his, he, they left his father. They all left and they began to follow Jesus. How many of you know that when you taste the goodness of God, there's nothing, there's nothing else that's better than the goodness of God. You don't go back. You don't go back. See, those I could I could preach today a message about sacrificing and giving it all to Jesus. But I would rather preach about the goodness of God, because when you catch the heart of God and the goodness of God, you will give it all to follow Jesus. You will make those sacrifices. So I'm praying that God would just demonstrate his goodness in your life, that he would fill your empty net. And when he does, you will leave everything to follow him. I want to do this as we get ready to close. Some of you here today, you came in with an empty net. There's an area in your life that you just keep coming up short, coming up short. And you need God to do something for you that you can't do for yourself. If that's you today, I want to pray for you. And I want you to just raise your hand right where you're at, all over this place. Man, you've got an empty net here, and you, you just need God to fill an empty net, an empty place in your life today. You love Jesus, you're born again, but man, there's some empty things, and you need God to fill that empty net. Raise your hand nice and high. We're going to pray here in just a moment. Many of you. You can put your hands down. Maybe you're here today and, and you say, Pastor, I am, uh, I am far from God. I, uh, I don't even know God today. I'm like Peter. I'm just a sinful man. I don't deserve God's goodness, but I realize I need God's goodness today. I need God's forgiveness today. And I want to be right with God today. If that's you, would you raise your hand right where you're at today? Raise your hand nice and high. That's me, Pastor. I need to be right with God today. I need God to do something for me that I can't do for myself. I need his forgiveness. Anybody else up in the balcony? Anybody in the balcony? In the balcony, God bless you. And on the main floor, several hands, God bless you. Here's what I want to do. Everybody stand to your feet. Everybody stand to your feet right now. We're going to sing about this old rugged cross again. I love this old hymn. Some of you have never heard it before. Some of you are glad to hear it again. We're going to sing this chorus. And as we do, those of you who raised your hand, both in the first invitation and the second, I'm going to invite you to come forward as we begin to sing this song. And we're going to ask God to fill our empty nets. After we sing this chorus through a few times, we're going to pray, God, fill our empty nets. Some of you, for the very first time, you've never received the goodness, the forgiveness of God. You're going to receive it today, and you're going to walk away with a full net, with boat sinking. So let's do this. As we sing this chorus, you raise your hand. Please come. We're all going to pray together. Some of you are Christians. Some of you are not. I'm inviting you all to come to pray that raised your hand, and then we'll pray together.
something very, very good could happen to someone very, very bad like us. So today, God, we, we come before you and the only thing we have to offer is an empty net. And we realize, God, that there are things that we need in our lives that we can't get on our own. We need supernatural grace. We need undeserved favor. God, when it comes to parenting our children, God, we need we need you to fill some nets here today. We have marriages, God, here today that are they're empty nets. Only you can fill them, God. We have dreams that are empty now. They're lost. And God, we need you to fill those dreams back up. And God, there are those here today that that you've never filled their their spirit. You've never you've never forgiven them. They've never asked. But they're here today, God, and they're saying, God, would you would you forgive me? Would you fill would you fill my heart? Fill my empty heart with your grace, with your favor. Fill me with yourself. Would you save me today? Save me today. God, I need saving. I'm like Peter. I'm a sinful man. God, save me, God. Save me from my sin. I'm, I'm ready to follow you. I'm ready to leave it all and follow you, God. Because you're a good God. I believe, Jesus. I believe you died and rose again. I believe you're here to fill my net. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Jesus name God I pray that you would help us over the next several weeks to demonstrate your goodness to people who are far from you God show us those simple acts of kindness that we can do to people who don't feel like they deserve an act of kindness God we pray for those divine appointments over the next several weeks God help us to lead all people from all backgrounds to real transformation in Christ. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite our prayer workers to come forward. And um, I, I just love what God's doing here. I love what God's doing. How many of you came that are up front? You came and you prayed for God to forgive you today. You prayed, God, forgive me. How many of you right up front here prayed, God, to forgive me? Awesome. Anybody else? Here's what we're going to do over here. Come on over here if you raise your hand for God to forgive you today of your sin, for you to become, become a Christian today. We're going to have our prayer workers come, and they're going to give you something that's going to help you grow, okay? Um, tell you a little bit about a small group that we have. We won't take but just a, a minute of your time. Uh, can we give God praise today? Can we thank God for what he's doing? 
Thank God that that good things happen to bad people like us. Amen.